I before E except after C. Total horse hockey. What about science? Glacier. Fancier. Weird. Height. Now, beer before liquor never been sicker. Yeah, that one's pretty true. follows a group of strangers who board a transport along a dangerous route and along the way learn that they are not who they seem. Oh wait, that's Stagecoach. <laughs> Today's assignment actually takes place in a post-ecological apocalypse future where bands of motorcycle riding bandits uh, Nope, sorry, that's Mad Max. Ugh! Okay. <laughs> One more time. A comedian races against the clock to make it to his big break at the Greek theater. <laughs> Damn it! <laughs> Neon City is all those movies and so much more. In a future straight out of Al Gore's nightmares, the ozone layer has been turned to Swiss cheese by a mad scientist named Xander. Society has all but crumbled, dogs have become high cuisine, and mutant raiders pillage small businesses. Michael Ironside stars as Harry Stark, an ex-ranger turned bounty hunter who hits the jackpot when he crosses paths with Reno, a woman with a red star bounty on her head. Stark takes Reno to Jericho Station, but Raymond, an old colleague slash rival of Starks, tells him that he'll have to take her to the titular utopia, Neon City, to collect his credits. Raymond offers Stark a job escorting a VIP on the next transport to Neon City. Stark politely declines by punching him in the face. Not one to take no for an answer, Raymond blows up Stark's truck, knocks him unconscious, and shoves him in the armored convoy. Stark's luck doesn't improve when he finds out the transport is driven by bulk an ex-ranger Stark had put away. He'll also have to contend with a ragtag group of strangers, including Dickie Devine, a failed comedian and part-time euthanasia dealer. <laughs> Twink, the daughter of a Neon City politician. Tom, a drug-addicted serial killer stowing away as a doctor. Sandy, Stark's ex-wife, and the mysterious Mr. Wing. The journey is treacherous, filled with radioactive Xander clouds, ultraviolet rainbows called brights, and roaming motorcycle gangs of homicidal mutants. Step aside, Mad Max. There's a new dystopian sheriff in town. All aboard the transport to Neon City! Far into the next century, the Earth's prognosis is hopeless. Folks, you got a bright. Lock out those windows! A journey of hope. Things can get worse than they are now. Things could be a lot worse. A journey of no return. We stay off the main road and push on for Neon City. Vanity, Lyle Alzado, and Michael Ironside. Neon City. Let's do the roll call. Casey Regan. But you can call me Dr. Casey. I'm a doctor. <laughs> Greg Hansen. I like that even in the future, all cops still just have mustaches. <laughs> Jamie Kennedy. Take me down to the neon city where the Santa cloud kills and the sand is gritty. Take me home. Damn it. Every time. You get me every time. I know. This might be my favorite movie that we've watched so far. 
Happy New Year. Happy <laughs> Happy New, New Year. Year. Happy 2053. <laughs> <laughs> it's the future, everybody. It's the future we were promised. It's the future we're probably going to get in the timeline <laughs> that's promised if you're going to be honest about this. It's wild <laughs> that this is not better known. Seriously. To be yeah. It's like strong, all around strong. It's cast really well. It is just solid. That's the problem. As I was watching it, I was like, I'm having no funny thoughts. Really. Uh, I know. <laughs> I have nothing yeah. to really pick apart because it was just really well done. As soon as it opened, I wrote down, pretty good score. Like, I was <laughs> yeah. immediately in. Before we started, my wife, Anne, was like, <laughs> like, how was the movie? And I was like, good. <laughs> and she was like, okay, like that doesn't sound good. And I was like, no, I just don't know what to say about it. Like it's it's good it's just a good movie. We just watched a good movie. <laughs> this should be held in the canon with other classic late eighties, early nineties apocalyptic pieces. I think it needed a better title. Neon City is pretty Well, Neon City vanilla. is so it's like the waiting for Godot of apocalyptic movies. <laughs> like we're not in Neon City. Right. We spend five minutes in Neon City. <laughs> you can't convince me that this isn't a remake of The Wizard of Oz. Oh, okay. Interesting. I can't, but I want you to explain yourself anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, think about it. A group of people all have to go, you know, to see the titular person or the titular place for a myriad reasons. And then when we actually get there, it's like a big letdown. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Ooh. they spend so little time in Neon City. And the bad guy, everyone's like, I'm going to kill Jenkins. <laughs> Doesn't die. Yeah. And it's just yeah, like no. a dude. It's just. And they're in like an indoor mall. Like, to be fair, <laughs> at least there's neon. I was worried that when they got to Neon City, they would have no budget <laughs> for neon. And it would just be. I don't know, an indoor mall, but it's an indoor mall with neon. Yep. And like the Zardoz utopian ladies. <laughs> <laughs> Another reason it is like The Wizard of Oz, which is also, Jamie, I think an answer to why we don't talk about this movie more often. It was ruined by sexism. <laughs> by misogyny, baby. Okay, yeah. yeah. Greg, you, you said vanity is one half of the ripoff report card, or, or a tent pole, one of your two tent poles of the ripoff report card. Gagoo. <laughs> uh, might I add, gagoo. <laughs> is writer Buck Finch the other tent pole? No, it is not. <gasps> I'm so excited I get to talk about this. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> Guys, I'm going to be totally honest. This movie is so good. It's so strong that I stopped watching it about halfway through. <laughs> I, I <laughs> Wait, wait, wait. Rewind. Yeah, yeah. Is that the mark uh -huh. of a good movie as Casey Regan stops watching it? <laughs> you know, I love these Von Trapp kids. Maria, like, is great as their nanny. Certainly don't see how any Nazis could come into this picture. I'm good. <laughs> probably probably going to work out for them. All right. I'll focus out on something else. You know what? It was such a strong movie. Yes, I sort of zoned out a bit because I knew it could handle itself. I, I knew it didn't need any supervision. Yep. The credits are just a tasting menu of ridiculous names. It opens with Michael Ironside, <laughs> Valerie Wildman. Yes. At a certain point, it gets to its first normal name, Richard Sanders, but then has as Dickie Devine. <laughs> and then it gets to the three writers, Jeff Begun. That's a big gun. Yeah, we've only Jeff Begun. <laughs> Buck Finch and director Monty Markham. And so I looked up these guys. Would it surprise you to learn that Buck Finch doesn't exist? 
No. No. Wait, what? What? <laughs> Whose pseudonym is he? Buck Finch oh is the God. pseudonym of Wait. a woman. Oh, my God. <laughs> Buck Finch is the pseudonym of a writer who, after this, made a huge career of writing and producing television, a writer named Anne Lewis Hamilton. She was the assistant to Julie Corman, Roger Corman's wife, like, early in her what? career. She got married to an attorney who wanted to get into the, like, low-budget filmmaking game, and as a wedding present, wrote him this movie. It said oh it took God. her two weeks. She used as the basis, stagecoach, and... <laughs> In her screenplay, the Michael Ironside role and the Vanity roles were switched. <gasps> I read an interview where she said it was basically about a female badass in the post-apocalypse and a male prostitute who he, she needs to transport to oh my God. Neon City. And then when the movie got made, the people who made it changed it totally. Much like The Wizard of Oz, the fact that it's a dream and Dorothy gets fucking handheld throughout the whole goddamn thing by a bunch of fucking <laughs> dudes with no heart, brain, or, I don't know, balls? What are the... <laughs> <laughs> No, it's balls. It's balls. It's balls. Dorothy in the book is like a strong female protagonist who like gets thrown into a world that she needs to navigate herself with guides. But then the movie turns it into like, it's all a dream. She's like a waifish Judy Garland. So similarly, this movie, the reason we don't talk about it is because it was way more interesting before a bunch of dudes came in and added dicks to all the characters. <laughs> She yeah, named herself Buck Finch. That That's is also great. a great pseudonym. After Atticus Finch, and she just was like, what's a guy named Buck? <laughs> Buck. <laughs> <laughs> That's phenomenal. That makes me love this movie even more. I know. And hate my wedding vows a year later. Why didn't I write a movie? <laughs> it's actually wild. That story, you were saying it, and it sounded familiar, but I haven't heard this one specifically. But I did read an interview with two women who wrote the initial draft of Break Into Electric Book. Nice. And and it's like a similar thing. It's wild that like if you are a person in LA and you happen to be like friends or married to somebody at a studio, sometimes you could just write a movie and just write one and then just yeah. like go back to your normal Get life. Get it out of your system. <laughs> oh, I wrote a movie one time. Yeah. And sometimes that movie is break into electric book. <laughs> yeah. And then you go back to fucking Albuquerque. <laughs> I love that. I mean, we all go through phases. I'm glad that someone's is the writing like break into electric boogaloo phase. And someone's is Neon City. Yeah. No, she did continue, but like it was her first writing credit, was it not? Wow. Well, no, it's Buck Finch's sole writing soul writing credit. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry. So we set the stage, coach. Ah, <laughs> oh, nice segue. We open with Vanity playing Reno, driving a motorcycle through this post-apocalyptic desert. We get the Chiron, North America, Western Federation, 2053 AD. And I kind of like that we don't get any other exposition. Thank God. This is not a movie that gives you the like opening crawl of like, in right. the future. And you don't need it. Okay, things went to shit. I'm great. Like, yeah, she rolls going. up <laughs> to a kennel, Annie's kennel, and says to Annie, Nice dogs. Hmm. Tastes good, too. And you immediately know where you are. You're like, oh, okay, we're in a post-apocalyptic hellscape. Dogs are food. Great. <laughs> right. Like, all the dudes are sitting there holding their girlfriends like, look at this fucking badass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they do the reveal. And it's a woman. <laughs> in the future, ladies can ride motorcycles. <laughs> so you're 2053. Women can do what they're... It's the 90s, yeah. man. 2053 AD. We haven't forgotten about Christ. <laughs> I like that Vanity 
goes to this like Williamsburg pop-up restaurant. <laughs> yeah. And then the lady immediately gets fucking shot. Like yeah. literally Ooh. doesn't finish like her second sentence before getting murked. <laughs> really thrown in. It couldn't have happened quicker after she's like, oh, by the way, we eat dogs now. Kablam. <laughs> Bad guy. Must be the heroes of the movie protecting those good right? boyos those and gallows. Those buppies. To be honest, I kind of thought that and then they revealed that these were mercenaries uh, or were they mutants yeah they're skins so what are skins skins, right yeah I think skins are just like wasteland mutants they've been changed somehow all the skins that you see have shit covering their faces and when they later end up at the off-road Rick's place yes the dude's got like a big eye thing or and then there's like the man and his wife in the desert who have yeah. mutated faces. I love that this movie does not hammer us over the head with exposition. There's mutants, it's the future. That's it. That's all you need to know. There's yeah. discrimination against those mutants. Yep. yep. Which plays into our main character's backstory, awesomely enough. This movie is a bit of like a tasting menu of all of the things that have gone wrong. Where <laughs> yeah. There's climate change, structural social collapse, mutants. When they get to Jericho and you hear on like morning announcements talking about people report, you have to go to quarantine, report mutants when you see them. Immigration won't be open today for people to go through. <laughs> <laughs> the Jericho housing is closed for toxic cleanup. And I'm like, this is an appropriate movie to be watching in 2021. <laughs> Timely. Yeah, it was like having CNN on in the background. Yeah, it was. <laughs> they also have Twink asking the questions about like what the hell's going on. And as they're like telling her about all the different things, they're like, okay, there are the Brights, there are the Xander Clouds, there are mutants. It's almost like, here are all the possible things that could happen. Then they will all happen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Like this is an ill-fated stagecoach. This trip yeah. is doomed from the start. Yeah. <laughs> Look, the minute some guy was like, hey, Bulk, can you take these <laughs> explosives? <laughs> By the way, you're also taking these explosives along. Probably for the midpoint of the second act. (laughs) The first scene outside of Annie's is so good because it really like throws you in and the action is really well covered. Yeah. The movie's well photographed. Fight scenes in the firefights are really impactful in a way that a lot of movies like this really lack where either you don't care about the characters or it's blocked in a way where you're completely unsure about who anybody is or why they're there. In this case, this is like one of those moments in any other big budget good movie that is known by people. The like chaos feels interesting. Yeah. You're, like, you're like, why? Why are they here? What's happening? That's a really nice moment where you feel that way rather than you're just like, I don't even, who are these guys? Fuck it. I'll just yeah. tune right back <laughs> I don't care. I don't know who it is. Where are they? What are they doing? I don't Mm. give a shit. But in this movie, it's the complete opposite. And the amount of times that somebody starts talking before (laughs) an explosion or they get shot or something. No sentences are finished without explosions. Yeah, sentences are the the real victims of the wasteland. (laughs) The most sort of confusing one is the first one. Yeah. I attribute that to the fact that Reno is sort of our point of view character. Yeah. We're sort of with Vanity at the very beginning. The skins show up and they shoot 
Annie and the skin that has gotten a hold of Reno gets shot and then another's motorcycle explodes. Yeah, I think I think that's Reno's motorcycle. Oh, Reno's, Reno's motorcycle. motorcycle. That makes sense. E- everything is very confusing. It's happening all this, and then there's just a shot. Then it just cuts to Michael Ironside like fucking squatting in the dirt and being like, "Hey, what's happening?" <laughs> yeah, it's like going fucking full Nicholson. Yeah, and all the ADR guys are just going nuts. Where are you? Face me. Yeah. Yeah, Oh my god, that was one of my favorite parts. That the guy on the the horseback charges at him. Michael Ironside just bats him with the butt of his gun off of the horse. It's awesome. He's a badass. Possible controversial statement. I was super attracted to him until he took off his mask. He was this very Han Solo-y character before like you saw who he really was and I was very much on board for what that character was going to be and then as soon as he started interacting with Reno he became kind of more of the Mel Gibson-y type and I was less interested. (laughs) Yeah. Also, Mike, I love you, buddy. Yeah. The ponytail's not no. working. Maybe uh, maybe that's no. also what it was. You couldn't see the yeah. ponytail, uh, and then once you could, you're like, uh. Listeners, do yourself a favor. Look up the poster for this movie and look at that ponytail. Uh. Uh. <laughs> that ponytail read very jazz aficionado yes. to me. This movie has a lot of weird mountainous things, including that widow's peak that he's got. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Michael Ironside picks off all the people who are attacking Annie and knocks out Reno because she's a red star worth a lot of credits. And they yeah, just when you off. think he's like just white knighting, it's actually yeah. like, nah. He's you... got an ulterior motive. <laughs> right. Boy needs cash. It's Michael Ironside. Man has never played a completely good character <laughs> in his career. You wouldn't trust it. How would you? How could you possibly look at that? Yeah, it's like it's like when Vincent Price is the protagonist and you're like, really? Right. <laughs> or when Ed Harris is in any movie. Oh, Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I know it's going to happen at about an hour into this movie. <laughs> That's why I was shocked in Apollo 13. <laughs> <laughs> Harry M. Stark is our hero. Love that he has a middle initial. Like, Perfect. Like a mid-20th century president. We don't need to know that. <laughs> <laughs> He's our badass, and he goes by a middle initial and has a ponytail. The 90s were weird. weird. The 90s were weird. Weird or perfect? I've been through here before. Yeah, I know. Harry M. Stark. We've heard all about you. Papers. Harry M. Stark, Outland bounty hunting garbage collector. Love it. And ex-ranger, which we learn rangers are like police. Yeah, right. well, They're what ra- you rangers are rangers. <laughs> He's like a blade jogger. Oh, god damn it. He takes her to... What is the name of it? Jericho? Is that first? Jericho's Jericho is the outpost. Is the Woodstock yeah. 99 one? It that is we the started? filthiest place in history. <laughs> it is a defunct water park. <laughs> oh my God. Casey, yeah. Casey, I have written post apocalyptic water park. Yeah. I have it yeah. written in my notes. <laughs> Which is pretty cool. I hope that was purposeful. It's raging waters after the end of the war. <laughs> right. It's raging waters now, okay? Let's be real. <laughs> That's its own amazing post-apocalyptic movie to be like, water has become scarce. We have to go to water country. <laughs> Kevin Costner made that movie four years after this. <laughs> this movie is two Kevin Costners put into one. <laughs> We, we give it two out of two on the Costner scale. It does have the feeling when we walk into Jericho of they're putting a theme park together. They like decided to shoot this tracking shot while they were building the set. There's just scaffolding on like yeah. everywhere. There's, there's half-finished slides. It's really yeah. crazy. 
people are digging through what is obviously like the costume chest. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. We cut inside away from our heroes to a stripper in like weird spandex and a man wearing a Groucho Marx nose and glasses. It's baffling. It's <laughs> but it works. It's really good. Oh, please, Mr. Gary, just do one more week. Dickie, you know, I think you're the best. I'd do anything for you. Except give you another week. I can't even give you another day. Bad Italian impressions never go out of style, even in 2053. <laughs> That's a spicy meatball here in the Mad Max world, you know? <laughs> Listen, Italians will never die. <laughs> We're like cockroaches. Too much red wine. (laughs) (laughs) If heart disease doesn't get us, it's not going to be the ecological destruction of the world. (laughs) I don't think I can take it anymore, the constant death and desperation of this world. What you need is a laugh. You should go see that new comedian in town, (laughs) Dickie Devine. But Dr. Tom, I'm Dickie Devine. (laughs) 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 <laughs> Diggy Devine is one of the greatest characters in I movie know. history. No. I know. I needed a trigger warning. I needed a does the dog die, but a yeah. does the dicky die? Because like I was really rooting for this man and his terrible routine that was never no. gonna actually get a job. No. Come on. Great. No, he I was hated a, him. no Dickie's oh, great. Dickie's oh, I great. hated Dickie. Dickie's great. I mean, he's not a good comedian, but he's very endearing. No. No, he's keeping a good no, attitude. I don't. He, no. he has heart. Uh-uh. He's got moxie. Just that line that that booker says. Too many people know what you've been selling out of that little suitcase of yours, Dickie. It's bad for my business. Somebody has to do it. I help people. They need me. (laughs) Selling death ain't funny, Dickie. He's bringing two sorts of relief to people. He's bringing a laugh when they need it, and he's bringing them the sweet release of death when they need it. When he died, I was like, thank God. (laughs) Oh, my heart broke. I was so sad. I was sad with every death in this movie, actually. like All of them were earned. I'm going to be totally honest. And then we cut to another person, just a a hopeless soul shuffling through the back alleys of Jericho Station and comes upon someone and says, I think one of the best lines of movie history. Are are you in the black market? (laughs) (laughs) To which he gets the reply, not exactly. (laughs) And then is killed by Tom. We meet our psychopath, our psycho killer, Keska say. Definition, like literally psycho killer. Like he has no motivations except if five minutes goes by and he hasn't killed a guy, like he gets <laughs> like withdrawal basically. Right. Like this, he needs to be murdering people every two seconds. This is actually one of the biggest peeves I have in this movie, which is our psycho killer's name is Tom. <laughs> yeah, 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 I know. <laughs> Everyone else has amazing names. Harry M. Stark. Like, Reno is like a oh, classic sort yeah. of drifter name. Bulk, Dickie Divine, Twink Taliban. Yeah. Yeah. And then Tom. Well, Dr. Tom. <laughs> he didn't murder a doctor to be called <laughs> Tom. Tom. <laughs> <laughs> what a missed opportunity to be like, Yes, my name is Dr. Mao, 
practice. (laughs) (laughs) He's also so charming. When he cleans himself up and appears on that stagecoach, you're like, oh, yeah, no, I'd trust this doctor, man. He's a charming gentleman. Yeah, he starts out as this shambling creep who murders a guy. Then For drugs. For drugs. He uses the money to get drug-laced eye drops. Oh, is that what's happening? Yeah, yeah. It's an eyedropper? I thought he was sticking a needle in his eye. (laughs) Oh, no. Oh, my God. And I was like, Jesus. and I was like, why? Why is that the best way? To do <laughs> oh, no, it's eye drops. Because later eye drops, on, it's eye drops. He's, he's doing the drugs. For some reason, what he had in his hand always read to me as a needle. It was always after, like he had yeah. finished uh, yeah. doing it and is moving it away. And so I always thought, I was like, why is it always <laughs> the eye? Ugh. Can't see track marks there, you know? <laughs> Tom is probably just on the page, probably the weakest character in this. I disagree. Disagree. No, no. I, I mean, just on the page, though. The performance is fucking okay, awesome. All right, that all guy right. is like super charming. He's super scary. But on the page, it's pretty weak. He's just a crazy killer like we know his secret right at the beginning where we don't have to find out that he's a psychopath we know it <laughs> the literally first thing he does is kill somebody and then the second thing he does is kill somebody <laughs> really the third thing he does is kill, kill somebody, somebody. <laughs> then, then he's not in the movie for a little bit we don't focus on him for a while then he kills kill somebody, somebody. <laughs> but even like his lines are <laughs> oh are so you the black good. market not exactly doesn't have a lot of thunder behind it. The next scene we see him, he's applying the drug eyedropper into his eyes. The doctor who had given him the drugs says, If you don't leave me alone, I'll turn you in if I have to. And Tom stands up and like stretches his body out. You can see that he's like high. He's like a predator. He stalks over to him, sort of like slinky. He takes the glasses off the doctor, puts it on himself. The camera tracks in closely to him and he says, Maybe. <laughs> this performer is bringing all the heat that this character really yep. needed. It certainly wouldn't have, couldn't have been handled by anybody. Stark gets a drink with Captain Raymond, who is an old rival of his. But I love how they come across each other because Raymond threatens to arrest him, and it's very much like, ah, you old son of a gun. Somebody yeah. should arrest this guy. Ah, no, I could. I could, though. I could. <laughs> they do that thing. They do the Han Lando yep. thing. But this one really struck me because Captain Raymond had goons with him who all had <laughs> shotguns drawn on Michael Ironside. So were they in on the <laughs> Was there a meeting before? He's like, he's like, all right, we're going to meet an old friend of mine. Ooh, this will be great. <laughs> I'm going to threaten to kill him. All right, you guys back me up. Oh, don't do it though. Don't do it. <laughs> Or do, I don't know, it's it's the post-apocalypse. Like, yeah. well, there's no body counts, it's fine. <laughs> I've lost a lot of friends to this bit. Comedy in the future is relegated to pretending to shoot your friend and old man jokes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no wonder people are swallowing fucking poison. Yeah. <laughs> Personally, I like knowing that the vomiting a line of handkerchiefs bit never died. <laughs> that that'll be around forever. Oh, Captain Raymond, played by our director, Monty Mark. Wait, really? Yeah. Oh. Now I'm picturing George Lucas casting himself as Lando. (laughs) (laughs) I'll get to wear a cape. It'll be really fun. Oh, Han, you old so-and-so. So good to see you. How's my falcon? (laughs) Get out of here, you old pirate. (laughs) Who would have been in the solo movie instead of Donald Glover then? Oh, oh, (laughs) Oh, if they were weak. Josh Gad? Yeah. yeah, yeah like, be honestly. Gad, yeah. It'd be pretty good, honestly. <laughs> 
Now Lando, sing! <laughs> but not all is well between Raymond and Stark. We learn a little bit of back, uh, like a teensy bit of backstory. Raymond yeah, uh, lets slip that Stark's son was a mutant and Stark punches him for it. Well, and with the line... Respect for the law comes first. We can't just... No, Raymond. Life and liberty come first. Jilaz is supposed to guarantee it's pretty sick. It's pretty, it's pretty great. Yeah. It's pretty stone cold. Yeah. I like this like disgraced cop versus like still cop thing in the post-apocalypse. It's like a really, really, really dirty Harry. Yeah, it's like the line <laughs> yeah. between is so dumb. Yeah. <laughs> I just got that. Uh, <laughs> it's a lo- it's a long one. It's a long con. <laughs> Raymond offers him a job on the convoy. I've started referring to it as the win a sleigh go. <laughs> <laughs> Greg, Greg, your role. Well, he doesn't offer him so much as tell him. Oh yeah, he tells he- him that. Uh, well, sure, Reno's wanted in all the zones. I don't yeah, whatever they are, yeah, that it, stuff. Yeah, Reno yeah. needs to be processed up in Neon City. Yeah, and, for no uh, discernible reason. No, right, no. Yeah, no reason. He's got a transport, just so happens, going out this afternoon. No, the only reason is that he wants Harry on this transport. Well, because he's the director of the movie. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you need to get the lead into the rest of the movie. No, Michael, I need you to get on this. It's called Neon City. No, 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 I don't want to do that. Michael, the go, movie doesn't go. work in no, this. No, 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 it's cool. Don't uh, tread on me. <laughs> It's like at the end of the movie, literally he goes, Reno, who? Oh, yeah, her. Did, did she make it? She didn't? All right, it's fine. Like, he does not actually <laughs> care about her. There's like, no he, follow through on if no Reno got through. there or he not. He just wanted to get Harry on this transport as a bodyguard. Yeah. It's also like a funny moment before they leave where they set up our Chekhov's Jenkins. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you ever heard of a prosecutor named Jenkins? Who the hell has it? He took both my sister's kids. Of course, now it's Captain Jenkins. Captain of what? Rangers. Hmm. Captain Jenkins. What's he to you? He served papers on my family. I'm going to kill him. So much time is spent talking about a character we don't see. And like, what a letdown when we actually see him. (laughs) We meet a roided out Stallone who's checking out (laughs) guns while the transport is being prepped. Bulk, who's our driver for this convoy. Bulk is like half fucking Clydesdale. That dude is huge. He lives up to his name very much so. He's a Sylvester Stallone. (laughs) (laughs) He's like a big, meaty, meaty boy. Yeah. With a big, meaty, meaty face. He like ate all of the Stallones before (laughs) we started. These windows up or down? Down, man. A few of them will kill you. Dickie Devine? Yeah, we're finally getting rid of him. He tries his act in my coach, I'll leave his ass in his ander. We see a fancy lady's bags being put onto the transport. Drusilla from Buffy, Juliet Landau. <laughs> oh, love it. The movie has an excellent cast. When Juliet Landau showed up, my head exploded. I was like, Drusilla? <laughs> Drusilla's in this movie? <laughs> and now it's Josh's favorite movie. Yep. She enters with the goofiest, bouncy music ever, where suddenly it feels like we're in a completely different movie. Loved it. We get the hocus pocus, like, uh, riding around town at the beginning of the yes. movie music. <laughs> Excuse me. This is the neon transport? Yeah. It's even nicer on the inside. 
And she's very much the like new woman in the old West town. Yeah, yeah. Who's come from the big city. It, it's great. And the music is actually is super on point in the movie and really does a good job in leading the emotional beats in a way that I did feel at that point, where wait, what movie are we in now? Like, <laughs> I don't know who scored this movie, but they did a damn good job. Bulk oversees the final preps for the transport. And he and Harry have history, but they're cool. Who's your old buddy? We used to be friends. Yeah, what'd he do? Five years for beating the man to death in a street brawl. You busted him. That's right. Your old buddy. Yeah. Nice move, asshole. Yeah, he got five years in prison for beating a man. Well, beating a man to death. Oh, beating a man to death. Okay. Oh, oh sorry. Oh, I, I guess I only wrote down beating a man. Yeah, okay. <laughs> All right, all right. So he, he killed someone. That makes sense. Yeah. He gives Sandy a hand, who we learn later on is Harry's ex-wife. She's got a great walk on the scene line. Because there's that other guy who's telling Bolt, hey, you're getting Sandy on this trip. You know, she'll make you really happy if you pay for it. She's right over his shoulder. Excuse me. I've got a town to get out of. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, I missed That's that. That's a really good oh, line. Oh, damn. I love yeah. that. So good i love sandy yeah so sandy is a lady of the night <laughs> if you were wondering where the stagecoach was coming in we're here yeah <laughs> this is the murder on the wasteland express <laughs> here's two minutes with sandy here's two minutes with bulk here's mr wing tickets please yeah. tickets please <laughs> please before we leave it's the last bus out for indeterminate amount of time <laughs> you'll miss that audition if you don't get on this train and the movie really like seemingly like one of Dickie Devine's jokes. It's like, okay, an annoying magician, a prostitute, and a bounty hunter walk onto a bus. <laughs> <laughs> Harry's gonna go his own way with Reno, but his car explodes. Yeah. And Raymond is very on the nose about the fact that he is responsible for this. Raymond. All right, everyone, calm down, calm down. Just some skin, raising hell. He turns around and he has a gun in his hand. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. nice transport. Shame if something were to happen to it. <laughs> Again, this movie is amazing because it gives you the buffet version of the entire world where it's just like, here is every strata of society in one kooky kooky transport. <laughs> He gets shoved on board the transport, handcuffed to Reno, Dr. Tom boards, and now Dr. Tom is all cleaned up, looking like a doctor. Big meaty doctor. The whole time it was bugging me who he looked like, and then Jamie finally picked it out. He's a meaty Steve Gutenberg. Yeah, <laughs> like totally. he even sounds like it. He's got those like tight Jerry curls. Yeah. <laughs> and his new look, uh, you know, hiding those luscious locks underneath the like cap he had been wearing earlier. When he has it down, at first I was like, well, this is weird. He looks just like <laughs> Like bulk. I know. Yeah. yeah. Also that. They look so identical. Large men with long curly hair. But it's kind of great. Bulk's intimidating. Bulk is called Bulk. He's the killer tomato. He'll yeah. give you the death <laughs> squeeze. Yeah, He'll that's give right. you the killer squeeze. I forgot his nickname is the killer tomato because he squeezes yeah. you to death. Does he do that in the movie? He does. Yes. He does to one raider. Okay. <laughs> the movie does give us a lot of information to juggle. That yeah. I feel like this is a movie that merits a rewatch. There 
is a lot of information and and some of it definitely got by me and I did go back and rewind it to try to get it again Mm -hmm. because it fleshes out the world so much. There is a lot of things that's thrown in there that's like really wonderful color that kind of it's easy to forget because the movie does move at a fair clip. Now everybody's together on the transport and they all sort of get to know each other. We meet everybody. We learn their quirks. We learn that Twink is from the big city. She doesn't really know much. She was in Switzerland while everything went down apparently. And her father is holding Raymond personally responsible for her safety. (laughs) Hell yeah. She is Raymond's VIP who Harry is supposed to look after. He doesn't do a great job. He really doesn't. (laughs) Oh, Reno has a phenomenal line. Twink takes out a book and Reno just spoils it, hinting towards the movie itself. The doctor did it. Cut to Tom, who gives this look to the camera like, oh. <laughs> when they take out that Agatha Christie book, it really was the movie showing off. It's like, all right, movie, you've read a book. Yeah. yeah. Since this is paced like a disaster movie, we can't go 10 minutes without something happening. And they enter a Xander cloud. Xander. All right, folks, we're about to enter a Xander cloud. Now, let's not panic. You've all been through it before. Rebreathers are under your seat. Yeah, there's a lot of Snowpiercer vibes between all these disasters that happen on their transport as they go. Their environment of the yeah. transport is their safety. Of the Winnesluego. <laughs> Yes, yes. I think it's also very important to point out that everything we have so far referenced as this movie has, insert blank, other movie vibes, are movies that were made after Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I definitely do not say it in that this movie yeah. is ripping any of these things off. It's ripping off other things. It, yeah, it's yeah. ripping off other things, but it deserves to be considered as a precursor, I think, to a lot right. of what we like about these other movies. Jamie, that wasn't an attack on you. I okay, was I just... <laughs> Casey! Jamie! God damn it, Casey! Jamie! Casey! Guys! Guys, Greg, <laughs> Josh, <laughs> Crypt Keeper, Casey. Is that everyone? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Did we lean into the fact that everybody knows each other? Harry basically wakes up in a nightmare. Like, can you imagine waking up from being knocked out on a subway car with everyone you kind of hate in the world? It's like, yeah, oh, with all of your worst enemies. My ex-wife, the guy who used to be a friend and I put in prison and we're like kind of cool, but also kind of not really. <laughs> oh, the woman I'm chained to who yes. wants to kill me to get away. <laughs> oh, Dickie Divine. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> Ah, <laughs> oh, shit. He doesn't know him. Daddy doesn't want him. No, I think him. Harry does know Dickie. Like, they have, like, a history together. Everyone knows each other. Every, it is kind of amazing, yeah. There is a familiarity, which I don't think was a weakness. I thought it was pretty good. And makes Dr. Tom even more... Of, of an, an outside. interesting yeah. outsider, yeah, because right. he is the one. But person. he's the one they can trust because of the moniker of Doctor. They all know each other enough not to trust each other, but they don't know this guy, which gives them inherent trust, which is interesting because he's the one they shouldn't. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's a small world. <laughs> this is what Disney was talking about. <laughs> when they said, after all, they meant, yeah. <laughs> it's a small world, after all. <laughs> That's also one of the few flaws in the movie, which is that Dr. Tom goes alone with people and then they, <laughs> they die. And then they die. They and no, one's, die. no one's like, that's really weird. Oh, well. <laughs> when Dickie Divine dies later, he's he's like, I'm just going to give him some painkillers. Go outside. I don't need you. <laughs> and then he dies and no one's right. like, 
That was fast. <laughs> I thought you were a doctor. That's Dr. Tom, your practice of cradling them and shaking your head doesn't seem to be very effective. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, giving them a little bit of water. <laughs> Do you need a PhD for that? <laughs> Greg, you're right. I mean, Twink doesn't know anybody. Her role is to just ask the questions that we, the audience, need to ask. Her role is exposition. Yep. But Bulk and Sandy, Bulk used to watch Sandy sing, and they seem to have, like, when he loads her onto the Winnesluego, was that <laughs> just meant to be that she's so beautiful and he was a fan or did they have like a history I think fan. I guess she would have known him right? I, I read yeah. she would have known him yeah. from being Harry's friend yeah. when they were married I think yeah. he like held a flame for her in that first moment I also read that Josh that he was like in love with her but then later in the movie, when she explains that she's going to get married to a nice guy in Neon City, he's like very supportive. Yeah. Bulk's a good guy. I liked Bulk. Bulk's great. He's a well, nice guy. I think it's kind of like the cops in Seven relationship, and she's the Gwyneth Paltrow between them. Yeah. I don't know if it's a sexual <laughs> attraction so much as just as like, yeah, we're close. We like we knew each other for many years, right. and we're fine now. I, I could eat you. I could eat you. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's on the Winnesluego, and director Monty Markham gives himself a fucking badass tracking shot up and down that bus, which is a fucking killer set. Yeah. 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 All the nooks and crannies that people sit in are like lit very interesting and there's like a very unique sense of space about it where obviously it's bigger than the RV they were using in yeah, the It's one of my favorite like, shots, science fiction like filmmaking tropes of the environment being a very rich character. It kind of reminds me of like Firefly where they built the whole uh, serenity so that they could do those shots where they go like up and down the whole thing so it's a character so like the Winnesluego yeah. is the other character on this journey totally they did a really good job in giving them enough space to actually move freely about it and Markham uses his camera really deftly to create a lot of motion and connections between characters through motion in a way that a lot of times filming a large portion of a movie in a moving vehicle it's intended to be used like as a confining measure people are always going to be shot in singles you, you want the space to feel smaller than it is and i think what's cool and unique about it is that they actually make it feel much much bigger and much more interesting than it is at the beginning they seem very disparate but at the end they are this band and i think the sort of congealing of their relationships and the fact that like they do hate each other and then throughout they grow to like each other and and i think it's earned totally yeah so the transport enters a Xander cloud and everyone puts on gas masks. The transport makes a pit stop. The most impossible thing in a movie is for people to drive for four straight hours. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> they make very clear our next stop is four hours later. <laughs> hey, let's just take a break, everybody. <laughs> we got to find a scene over here. <laughs> Harry sees this guy off in the distance who's like collecting berries and he's got like a messed up face. Mutants are very subtle in this universe. <laughs> yeah. Like you have to assume it's not so much they're monsters and more like they're just in incredible pain all the time. Yeah, yeah. And we learn that they got caught in a bright which is a rainbow of ultraviolet light that burns you. Harry brings them a bye-bye bag from Dickie's kit. Love it. 
Bye Love bye that bag. name. Ooh. Bye bye bag is very good. Yeah, it's Fallout. That like we're in Fallout territory here. Yeah. There really is a lot of heavy lifting that this movie does in terms of fleshing out the world. Like again, Xander Clouds, we got skins, we got rangers, we got mutants, we got red stars, we got bye bye bags. But nothing is overexplained. I'm really fascinated by how they manage to juggle like this completely new world and none of it seems heavy handed. Even with a character whose sole purpose is to ask the questions and it still doesn't feel ham-handed. I just wish we had some runtime in between the explanations. We talk about the brights, and then, like, basically a scene later, a bright happens. Yeah, I agree, I agree. This movie is so chock-full of ideas that it's set up, payoff, set up, payoff, set up, payoff. When we hear about brights... We see the effects of a bright on two mutants out in the frontier. And their baby. And their baby before we are explained exactly what a bright is. And it is, oh, it's it's a big a bright that burns you. Oh, that's sort of what I assumed. <laughs> <laughs> and they encounter the Xander cloud. And there's that moment of uh, Sandy's oxygen not working. So there's a moment of peril before they explain what the Xander cloud is. Right. Well, we hear about him. Don't they say like, on our drive today, yeah, we yeah. Are, we're slated to go through a Xander cloud or two. <laughs> <laughs> Get a little turbulent. Please don't move around the cabin during this time. Please buckle your seatbelts and stow your laptops. <laughs> All right, this is Neon Sea News. We're going to kick it over to Tommy Two Toes with the weather. Tommy, and Tommy's like, I have a mutant. I only have two toes. Anyway, <laughs> we got a big uh, swing of Xander clouds coming in from the west. We got brights to the north, we think. No one seen one and survived if you see one call but unless you're dead which you probably are uh okay thanks neon city is anyone watching this he says they get back on the transport and arrive at astro station did we just pass right over bulk trying to pimp out his is that okay is that what (laughs) is that what happens it's not really what happens but but we cut into there did we even mention the old man mr wing who rides up front with bulk because he's the one one guy who doesn't know everyone in the back, so he's like, this would be awkward for me to sit back here. And Bulk does not want to sit next to Dickie Devine. Yeah. <laughs> the movie just puts Dickie Devine in coach. Yeah. Be like, hang out with us. <laughs> oh, God. Can you imagine? But we cut to the truck cabin. Oh, you never heard of me? The killer demand on my famous squeeze of death. Such a beautiful little detail that he was what a wrestler at one point I guess. or something. Sure, seems like it. Bulk is ready. <laughs> Maybe an actual gladiator. We don't know. You know what? That could be a part of this world, and we're just not privy to. And then he shows him a picture. He's like, "I'm going an Astro Station. I'm gonna meet my sister Beth. Check her out." And then he, you know how guys. I I don't know. I have a sister, and I, I can tell you, I keep a picture of her in my wallet, and I like <laughs> often will show gentlemen I've just met, be like, ah. Not bad, huh? Pretty <laughs> odd, huh? Yeah, if I was a chick, this is what I'd look like. <laughs> when we get to Astro Station, the skins have attacked. They're expecting a escort at Astro Station, but instead they find a bunch of skins who they have to fight off, and they find Bulk's sister lying, dying. The one survivor, but... Not really. <laughs> Dr. Tom comes in to save her and does a terrible job being a serial killer, or I guess a good job as a serial killer, in that he kills her. And then he <laughs> sits to the side, puts those drug eye drops in his eyes, and has the incredible line, Well, I'm a doctor. I'm a doctor. 
if there was any question of this guy's being totally an outright batshit crazy, just him sitting there next to her just being like, Papa loves a doctor. <laughs> I'm a doctor. So while they're dealing with the mutants inside, the oh, mutants yes. are also attacking the rest of the transports. They pull Twink out the window. Reno shoots the mutant. It's a good team building activity. <laughs> yeah. Everyone gets to know each other. <laughs> but then Reno is like immediately ready to ditch them. Yeah, she books it. Wouldn't you? Oh, yeah, I can't blame her. She gets free and then she goes and steals a motorcycle, but she's stopped by Harry somehow. I wasn't they, clear no, on that. He puts a pole in the wheel of the motorcycle, oh! which from experience, this has happened to me on a bicycle, guys. It's so painful. She gets fucking ironsided. Yeah. She gets literally ironsided, yeah. It's a good thing that she's driving right towards a bunch of empty boxes. <laughs> it read more to me like she just bailed out yeah. thinking it was going to happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, a good yeah. thing because he missed. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't make explicit. This is really the scene. The point that this scene is in the movie is to show Harry's just fucking walking around like fucking John Wick murdering these skins. Yeah. Like, yeah. He, he murders like six or seven people in like a 45 second time frame. <laughs> He's just walking through picking them off one by one. Even the one that is sexually assaulting the nearly dead Beth. It's not Bulk who saves Beth. Yeah. It's fucking Harry. Fucking headshots the guy. It is badass. It's Fallout. <laughs> it is Fallout. Yeah. <laughs> Here's the new level. <laughs> and it also shows you just how badass Reno is. Because yeah. Reno takes on all of those skins at the transport. And then it's just like, peace. After he stops her from escaping, they're friends. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Questionable. They paper over a few, a the, few yeah. of those. I mean, this movie went where I thought Hateful Eight was gonna go. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I really, I really, I really hoped for their friendship in Hateful Eight, yeah. and then no, that didn't happen. It would have been great only because the movie was called Hateful Eight, <laughs> like end with a love story, right? Or something. <laughs> yeah, they're just like pals suddenly. Near death experiences will do that for you. Not like the one that happened right. at the beginning of the movie, but like this one that happened in the middle of the movie. <laughs> Especially when it's the other person who nearly deaths you. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you really connect with that person. Yeah, because he's just like, you know what? If you want out of here, fine, go. <laughs> Get out of here. We're safer together. It's like, you're bringing her to jail. <laughs> you're bringing her to jail for money. You yeah, remember yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, the whole yeah. reason you're here? Yeah. Not on the same side, though, is Harry and his ex-wife, who have a great moment oh, where yeah. <laughs> she says, You know, for an asshole, you're a real asshole. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's Gold. the best line of any it's movie. It's so good. What good. sass. And, oh. and the best he can come back with is, you're a whore. <laughs> it's like, you're not winning points, Harry. No one is on your side. <laughs> oh, and we learned that she had a son with Harry. We had a son. He was born blind. Had a cleft palate, some other problems in the... Authorities said he was mutant, so they took him away. I'm not mutant. But they sterilized me just the same. Whoa! That scene, without being... I mean, it is exposition. It is just yeah. straight information. But it's the between-the-lines things that are, like, truly chilling. He was blind and had a cleft palette it's when it really like nails down that these aren't monsters no. this is like a world where the mutations are just physical 
ableist bullshit yeah <laughs> yeah yeah there's a much deeper like thought to it of yeah, like <laughs> of ableism in this scene we really get what is the horror of this world that it is not that even and again it somehow i wasn't turned against our main character harry <laughs> who is a piece of shit <laughs> <laughs> well it's also mentioned in that scene that it's actually mostly prosecutor jenkins now captain yeah. jenkins fault that all of it happened and so again we get the reiteration of everyone wants to fuck a piece of jenkins when they get to neon <laughs> right. city everyone's like that guy's dead it's that scene in airplane where everyone's lined up to <laughs> <laughs> you better know it audience that by the end of this movie we are going to have a hell of a fight scene with jenkins yeah. i assume machine guns yeah. helicopters <laughs> yeah lasers one must assume it will be the highlight of the film the climax surely will be <laughs> facing off Definitely. against Jenkins. And then they end up rolling into Rick's place post-war and it has not <laughs> aged well. <laughs> and all they've got this late is the special. <laughs> Which I assumed was going to be gross and apparently was delicious. <laughs> no, yeah. apparently They have like a really nice dinner. It's interesting because they walk in and the bartender is a mutant. He's got like a, a scar on his forehead. It's like not much. They sit down and they have a very nice lamplit dinner to the tunes of Phantom of the Opera. Yeah, with Mr. Wing playing a piano, which... Where did they get a piano tuner in the post-apocalypse? <laughs> Maybe his mutation is he has a perfect pitch ear. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> now it's Harrison Bergeron. Now we're just talking about Harrison Bergeron. A real freak. Yep. Because <laughs> his other mutation seems to just be like a case of the mumps. He's just got a little swollen... Yeah, he's fine. A little swollen face. The next day, the transport is attacked by skins. We get really good action scene here. The trailer lights on fire. The trailer with all the explosives that are conveniently in it uh, lights on fire and explodes and has to be cut loose by Reno. Uh, And then Dickie gets shot. Dickie. It is like one of those moments where they unhook the trailer and it explodes because the road is is like a little snowy on either side (laughs) and the car that's chasing after them just goes, well, I guess we just have to keep going straight. (laughs) You guys saying that the skins were themselves mutants i didn't even think about that i just thought of them as just a gang a roving sort of outland gang and community out there like taking advantage of people on the what is essentially the frontier of this post-apocalyptic stagecoach western you know then i i went down this path of like wait a minute if that's their role in the stagecoach then they're just native americans the role in stagecoach they are the comanches that attack yeah like throughout the stagecoach but because that they could be mutants or they're anybody it doesn't matter they're mutants in the same way the mutants are in future kill like they're they're desert freaks and and that's exactly the treatment that the comanches get in stagecoach there's no character to them they're just a threat if i'm remembering that movie correctly i don't feel like there's ever a scene like a showdown or anything yeah yeah the tribesmen being like well we're not all like this you know no i don't think so (laughs) would you like some help cultivating the land (laughs) oh you're shooting me okay i'll I'll see you later (laughs) well and in some ways that's where this movie does actually knowing that 
unvetted source material is something that is fairly racist. <laughs> if you're going to do that and then replace them with mutants, it at least gives the like, no, but mutants aren't inherently bad. They're just outcasts. And, yeah. Right. Yeah. And- Especially knowing what that scene with Sandy and Reno tells us about this society and how it treats outcasts. It's monstrous. Yeah. In the same way that, yes, of course, you watch the story of Stagecoach and you care about them and you don't want to see all the people in that Stagecoach die. But like the true story of that is that is one culture fighting back against what is a like oppressive encroaching culture so in that same way if the skins are the mutants that have been cast out for whatever like poor roll of the dice granted them just the slightest physical imperfection or handicap they had to go out into the badland just to avoid being fucking executed and yet michael ironside gets to keep his ponytail like that's questionable (laughs) there is no justice (laughs) i feel more for the skins at the end when our heroes ride away from the safety of neon city i'm like good this is a horrifying place this is a soulless kind of like monstrous place in the same way that yes while things out in the badlands are desperate and dangerous they're more honest this movie does really hammer home the sort of libertarian view that stark posits at the beginning of the movie the right and wrong is is basically just freedom (laughs) (laughs) they talk about the law but what is the law it shows both the wasteland as bad and the cities as bad the only good is the yukon territory canada (laughs) (laughs) canada baby you go up there as like a an individual that's going to live off the land and eat cleanly and not be a part of any society at all. The only society that you need is Rand Paul as your senator. (laughs) Oh, I do love when they hit the bright. Bulk starts explaining all of the different switches. You're going to have to watch the temperature gauge. Coach hits 130, switch two. The camp hits 140, switch three. Last ditch emergency, pull the red switch. What's that do? Close water tank seals. 500 gallons on the coach, 200 on the camp. That'll give us about five seconds to get the hell out. If we're not out, that's it. Here we go. I also love the editing for the bright scene because it's just a bunch of cross cutting to everyone doing their best miming of that they're like walking across hot asphalt going to the beach and it's like when you uh, wake up too late in the day and you open up the blinds and you're like ah no it's noon I was supposed to wake up at nine I was maybe not by the scene itself though the thought of slowly cooking to death does sound terrible but when mr wing who seems to know an awfully lot about this science Mm. stuff (laughs) when mr wing explains what a bright is because everyone else speaks of it almost as if it's like legend no one really knows what a bright is we just know it's really bad it's basically like a laser beam from the sky. <laughs> and Mr. Wing explains it. You need to play a clip here because I don't remember it because yeah. I pushed that shit right out of my yeah, mind because the way he explained it was horrifying. <laughs> Think of a giant magnifying glass in the sky made out of tiny particles of water and pollutants. When it diffracts and magnifies sunlight, it creates a hot spot, a bright, hard to tell, where or when it's going to happen and how intense it's going to be. 
I'm no scientist, and it sounded pretty plausible. <laughs> For some reason, Dicky just completely forwent all of the precautions. Didn't put on the goggles that everybody else did. Oh, well, he got shot before. He catch, yeah, he got shot in the they scene got before. shot during the skin battle. Oh, is that what happened? Yeah, yeah. that's that's oh. why he's yeah. dying. Yeah, okay. So during the fight with the skids before the bright, Dicky gets shot, and then the bright happens, and he gets zapped by the intense heat and sunlight. Got it. And he is super cooked. And then yeah, he's not doing well. But Tom's going to go take care of him. And he does. Yeah. <laughs> he does. Again, it's, it's not, so good. It's it's a great final quip. Not on the page, yeah. but performed. What's a guy say when he's about to be murdered? <laughs> Sorry, Dickie. That's not funny. He's also singing Goodbye Ladies, so it's like really good to hear that like barbershop quartet songs are still relevant <laughs> in 2053. We was like, Goodbye, Dickie. Besides that one Agatha Christie book, all art after 1923 seemingly disappeared. Yeah. <laughs> it's very pioneer the way they stop on the side of the road and bury him with like a little crop. It's very uh, so manifest old destiny. West. Yeah. <laughs> Oregon Trail. So <laughs> Dicky died of Dr. Tom. (laughs) And if there was one true misstep that this movie made, it was not laying down those magic wand fake flower bouquets. (laughs) (laughs) That would have truly been. God, that would have been special moment. So good. Uh, you guys are going to have to do a lot of the explanation because this is sort of where, where it's I like, gave, yeah. uh, well, why? The movie just needed uh, a day to itself yeah. at this point. Yeah. It just took yeah. a mental health day. Yeah. And then they just go to a spa <laughs> castle. They go in and it's seemingly abandoned. And they see this big octagon or, or hexagon. Some kind of gone. Water. <laughs> and Michael Ironside comes out like a fucking mermaid. Oh. <laughs> clean <laughs> and it's just like come on in the water's fine and everyone just doffs their fucking rags <laughs> and they're all wearing like white undergarments and it looks like a weird <laughs> baptism scene basically <laughs> and they start playing pure moods on the radio <laughs> yeah, totally. and we see uh, all the characters breathe a sigh of relief <laughs> including the murderer <laughs> the, the guy that we know is a psychopathic murderer well and then dr tom tries to relax a little too much yeah, but he gets a little too comfy a little creepy with reno Ugh. the greatest thing about this movie he kind of goes for it and she just bats him on the nose like he's a shark and <laughs> she just fucking pieces and he like a like a sad jock is just like i don't even water fuck it get out of here bitch like yeah, yeah, right. yeah i know ah! Ah. What's wrong? Nothing. Reno, are you all right? I guess she's just not used to being turned down. I mean, no offense, Reno, I'm just not interested. Yeah, and everyone's just like, yeah, okay. (laughs) Not with those curls. Yeah, (laughs) 0.0 people believe him. (laughs) And then Michael Ironside goes and comforts her. Yeah, and then we have a woo-woo jammed in love story that wasn't set up alert. I like that alarm, Greg. (laughs) 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 Woo-woo. 
And this has happened so many times in movies we've seen and in every goddamn movie in the world where it's, oh, the male and female leads. They need to get together because reasons. Male and female leads who are 20 years age. Yeah. 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 It's weird. Vanity is literal like sex incarnate. And then Michael Ironside with his widow peak, (laughs) his ponytail, his like, I play Thursdays at the jazz club ponytail. He owns a lot of books on the Kama Sutra, but will not get past me. There's no way. We learn a bit of her backstory. You want to know what really happened with my parents? Foster parents? They had charge of about a dozen of us kids. And they used to rent us out for whatever they could get. Well, one of the kids died from a beating that they gave her. So the rest of us just decided to split. And we threw a torch at the place before we left. We didn't think that they'd burn in the fire. <laughs> well, I told them it was all my fault. So that the other kids could get away. And that's why she has the red star on her. The hefty bounty. And then they enter the bone zone. Yep. Yeah, yeah, they, they, they do it by a roaring fire. She wants to test Michael's iron side. <laughs> uh, yeah. You gotta love in this abandoned spa castle just how many candles are lying around yes. unused for them yeah. to No one goes into like how long that must take to be like, once, okay, lighting <laughs> every single candle right. in that room. You have to lay them all out like, and light them back. I feel like that's a mood killer. 30 minutes later, you're tired and sweaty. Yeah, like, all right. Right, ready? This. And we go from the love scene to a scene between old man Wing and Bulk where Bulk outs Mr. Wing as Xander. And that's like a legit cool development. One yeah. that I truly didn't see coming. A lot of what happens in the movie is like, I wasn't thinking about what was going to happen because I was just here for the journey. But but Xander felt like such like a big concept. You wouldn't actually expect it to be like then turned into a character in the movie. I yeah, feel like. I didn't think it was a person when they were talking about it. Yeah. Earlier. I thought it was like a corporation. It's cool the way that they set it up. It's very funny when it's revealed that he's Mr. Xander because he spends a lot of the movie defending Xander. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. Or just being like, hey, a lot of people made mistakes back then. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people were making weapons at that time. I thought it was great because it brought up this concept of all the things that this person did and it seemed like a like a discussion of something bigger and of powers sort of in the world building and then to personify him and kind of give him motivations and like and then ultimately change the course of the movie for the good and the fact he was trying to do good in the first place. I just thought it was interesting. Yeah. Usually you don't get that kind of world building where it's like somebody big in the world also ends up in the movie unless it's like the president or the, you know. Yeah. Something. Well, that's what this movie does. And that's why I think this movie was truly good. Greg, you're right that throughout it, it very quickly does uh, set up punchline, set up punchline in very quick succession for like set pieces and action scenes. It like very quickly sets up Xander Clouds, Xander Cloud scene, explosives, explosive scene, bright, bright scene, because that is the track that we are on. But it is taking what is great about Stagecoach, which is setting a chamber drama in a like genre situation. We personalize and make emotionally important even the thing that is, like, setting. After they figure out that Mr. Wing is Xander, 
then we get all the people looking up at the night sky and looking at, at all these nice, beautiful shooting stars, which it turns out are fireworks. <laughs> and the skins yeah. are nearby, which means that they only have a certain amount of time to escape before the skins get there. They stop for so many rest breaks, but no actual rest. Like, <laughs> like they should have just kept driving at yeah. a certain right. point. Oh, no, like those were... are cocaine breaks. <laughs> they, they jump into the Winnesleigo. A gang of motorcycles swarms on them. Sandy gets well, shot. Well, after the exploding Firestone tires. Yes, yes. Yes, right. yes. They, I forgot. And yeah. the dope one shot where everyone's like oh. setting things up and they're, and the camera's just steady camming, pulling away from them all. Like, it's great. I loved that shot. Everyone, even Twink, even Drusilla, our babe in the woods, has to pick up a gun and fight yeah. now. Like, they are now a, a family. It is where the movie does go full Road Warrior, but it does it really yeah. well in a way that a lot of movies try to go full Road Warrior and don't either have the budget or don't have the artistic sensibilities to do it. And this one, seemingly like they watched Road Warrior and Monty was taking like good notes on how <laughs> to cover that shit. They pull it off and, and in a way that like it feels homage-ish without being necessarily derivative. Yeah. Yeah. And things go wrong. They run out of ammo, Sandy gets shot and it, things seem hopeless, but... <laughs> but Xander gets a flashlight from Bulk. <laughs> well, no, he's a, yeah, he says... Bulk, where's that blazing light? <laughs> <laughs> Which is a line that will stick with me for the rest of my days. Do you still have that? Laser, which has never been brought up. And then up. when he starts to use it, is real OP. It's yeah. so oh my God. OP. Aim at the gas tank. Push the button. It recycles every two seconds. So apparently it never runs out of ammo. <laughs> yeah, I know. No wonder this guy fucking destroyed the world. Yeah. He's made of the greatest weapon in the history of mankind. <laughs> out of a flashlight. In the back of a Winnis Lego and some fucking duct tape. Yeah, he's got, he's got a couple of D batteries. <laughs> Harry laser guns all of the skins but the transport finally gives out on its last legs and they have to say goodbye I did write down love that the roads are still paved in the apocalypse also <laughs> apparently they killed the very last skin because they get out of that Winnebago's like well guess we'll walk the rest of the <laughs> yeah. way yeah it's not that far <laughs> haven't you been under constant threat of danger yep yeah <laughs> but not not all of them will walk the rest of the way they <laughs> So Xander, they let Xander go. Now that they know who Mr. Xander is, they still yeah. let him go. Public enemy number one, the man who destroyed the world. It's interesting because he wants to, like, fix what he's done. It's very Gaius Baltar. <laughs> like. Oh, my God. Yeah. It is. No, he wants to not get executed. Also that. Yeah. That's what he wants. <laughs> so he's like, I'm not going to go to Neon City. I'm good. Thanks. No, no. I've got big things in the works. I got big things in the works. Solutions. <laughs> Bye. Yeah. I can probably fix the world so long as I get over a national boundary. <laughs> <laughs> over a national boundary. But like, what does that mean? The skins are just like marauding the wasteland. Him getting into Canada. Is, yeah. is there going to be a stop station there? Are the skins like, oh, no, no, no. We don't go into Canada. We don't mess with the Great White North. <laughs> They've got Mounties there. I know. He is a frail, aged man just shuffling off. He's just got like a bag. <laughs> that was the funniest thing to me because it was such a happy moment because they were all going to walk and they were like, bye, bye, Sander. And he's just like walking into just nothing, into like the mirage of desert. <laughs> It's like, oh, he's going to And no die. one has been eating or drinking pretty much at all. No. So. The, except one special at Rick's. <laughs> yeah. 
So the rest of the gang arrives at Neon City's immigration. Neon City. Neon City. And at this point, we have about five minutes left. In the yes. Movie. We gotta wrap some shit up really quick. It's fucking nuts. Yeah. Yeah. Sandy's not doing well, so Tom gives her some antibiotics, so she's definitely doomed. <laughs> yeah. She's taken all way to the hospital. And she says she gives one last I love you to Harry, yep. which is weird. Considering everything that's <laughs> happened between them. His yeah. new girlfriend's right there. Yeah. <laughs> Reno. Like, They're let oh. inside because Twink is the VIP. We see the titular neon of Neon City, which really just yeah. looks like a McDonald's and... sign outside of Las Vegas. Yeah. How dare you? <laughs> How dare you? It wasn't enough neon, Greg. No, Neon City sign is sick. I, I love that the inside of Neon City looks like the gem room in the Natural History Museum. Yes, <laughs> it yes. does. Yes, it does. Yes, and like the Natural History Museum, someone rented it out for a birthday party yes. because yeah. Twink goes goes to meet her dad inside who's like having a big get together. He has bottle service at a table. Yep. It's like, oh, yeah, my exactly. daughter. <laughs> oh, we should also point out that this is when Twink gets her, her like kind of hero moment. Everyone has had their moment to prove their totally. worth to the group and Twink's is, I need to talk to my father about this and she gets them <laughs> yeah. into the city. I don't think my father would be happy to hear that you're not letting me and my friends into the border right now. My father, <laughs> the inventor of the neon city to <laughs> Perhaps you know him, Mr. Neon. Bots could destroy the world, but nepotism is still strong. Yeah. Hell yeah. It's good to know. They all go up to, to the party. But a guard stops Harry. You Stark? Yeah, I'm Stark. Oh, thank God you're alive. Raymond calls from Jericho. You got a killer on your transport. Murdered a doctor. Took his clothes. He took his bags. We don't have a proper ID, but we're going to get it. Immediately afterwards, a medic runs up. <laughs> Sorry, we lost him. What? Your friend is dead. And then he says, Give me your gun. Give me the All right. Why? Because mine's empty. Uh, give me your gun. Mine's Fucking... empty is so good. Anyone listening should watch this movie because it's very good. But at very least, skip to, trust me, it is about three minutes before the end of the movie. <laughs> I know. There's a shot of Michael Ironside. Then over one shoulder, a guy runs up and goes, Quick, here's a gun. Go finish the movie. Quick. <laughs> And it's great because we do know Stark to be a sharpshooter. Of course, we have the obligatory Dr. Tom grabs Reno and puts a knife to her throat. A scalpel, please. He's a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> kind of exposes himself just enough for fucking Stark to shoot him through the neck. Only could have been better if it was the fucking laser gun. What happened to that thing? <laughs> well, Tom falls on the ground and then we get surprise Jenkins. Drop it, Stark. Jenkins. Hello, Harry. Out of nowhere, Jenkins pulls a gun on Harry. Oh my god, they have a showdown, him. I guess. Yeah, the finally we meet Jenkins, the son of a bitch. Oh, Jenkins. Finally, we get to have that final Jenkins fight. Here we go. Here Everybody's we go. gonna get a piece of Jenkins. Yep. Jenkins, the man who ruined. Harry's career. He's responsible for the death of Harry's son, who ruined Harry's marriage with Sandy, who essentially forced Sandy to be both chemically sterilized and into a life of prostitution, who has in any conceivable way done harm to our main character. Yeah, he gets off of the warning. <laughs> <laughs> he gets a pass. Yeah. Jenkins gets a pass. And they leave Neon City. Uh, don't let it happen again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, they don't leave yet because again, he goes, Raymond said you had like a prisoner you were transporting. Looks pointedly at Reno and goes, nah, 
They'd make it. <laughs> Hell yeah. So the three of them leave and drive off and they give Xander a lift <laughs> to the Yukon border. We cut out of Neon City into the middle of another wasteland desert. Like at the end of Terminator 2, a Jeep just pulls <laughs> up to the end of the movie and just goes, get in. Yes. Get in, bitch. We're going to save the world. And uh, personally, I want Neon City 2. Fuck well, yes. I wanted to yes. see the continuing adventures of Neon City. Neon City yeah. The Yukon that they talk about is very mythic. Someone says, you know, the air is clearer there. And Harry goes, I, I don't believe it. I think that's a lie. So it would be so great to see like them making it over the border and what new political and ecological nightmares they have to encounter there. It's Rambo That'd 2, baby. Great. And yeah. can Xander save the world? Yeah, or can does he Xander make it worse? save the world? I don't know. I want to know. I Again, love it. it's very like end of Snowpiercer. What's yeah. going to happen? Ugh. Bum, 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 bum. We've only just begun <laughs> to speak of laser guns and Xander clouds. Ding, ding, ding. The ripoff report card. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. The Neon City Ripoff Report Card is brought to you by dogs. Please don't eat them. <laughs> <laughs> While Neon City is jam-packed with familiar faces both on and off screen, it would take an entire episode to go through the textbook of credit shared betwixt everyone. So I'd like to focus on two quizzical personalities who both share some of their last on-screen credits here. Before her tenure in B-movies, Vanity was a Canadian-born model who rose to stardom when she attended the 1984 American Music Awards as Rick James's date, where she met Prince. Prince gave her the name Vanity as he considered her the female form of himself, and upon learning of her ability to sing, created the Vanity Six girl group for her to lead. She ended up leaving and going to Motown for a stint before co-starring in the classic Barry Gordy's The Last Dragon, opposite martial artist Timon. From then on, her film career put the pedal to the metal as she went on to work with Cannon on 52 Pickup, with Carl Weathers on Action Jackson, and with John Stamos in the Bond semi-spoof Never Too Young to Die, which features a madly cackling transgender Gene Simmons in one of cinema's most baffling and over-the-top villains ever. What? Yeah. It's wild. (laughs) Neon City was one of the last handful of films she would work on before ultimately devoting the rest of her life to evangelism before her untimely passing in 2016. But while she was busy on screen, she was also busy off. Besides dating Prince, she also dated Adam Ant, who wrote a song about her, (laughs) Billy Idol, and Nikki Six before ultimately marrying, and a year later divorcing, Oakland Raider Anthony Smith, who was charged with firebombing a furniture store. What? Hell yeah. (laughs) In Santa Monica for, quote, a dispute over money and a consignment item. (laughs) He wasn't convicted, but was convicted of a murder in 2011 of a mechanic due to, quote, a business deal gone wrong. God damn it. This guy not have like a Yelp account? (laughs) 
And speaking of the Raiders, before they moved to Oakland, they were the Los Angeles Raiders. And our friend Bulk, aka Lyle Alzado, was one of the defensemen when they won their Super Bowl in 1984. Okay, that checks out. Nice fucking segue, Greg. It's a Greg way. (laughs) (laughs) As you can imagine from his accent, he was born in Brooklyn and grew up on Long Island and ended up taking both his mug and mouth to the silver screen. Another in a long list of beefcakes to almost exclusively play characters named shit like Braun in Club (laughs) Fed, Thor Alexeev in Tape Heads, and Bronk Stinson in Ernest Goes to Camp. He too was known for his short temper and aggressive playing style, which he later credited to roiding out from 1969 onward. (laughs) Neon City was unfortunately his last screen credit as he became one of the first major athletes to publicly come forward as a steroid abuser, detailing his battles to Sports Illustrated before ultimately passing in 1992, the same year that Neon City was released. Oh, Oh. Rip King. And that is the Neon City Rip-Off Report card. We forgot Jeff Begun. (laughs) He wrote the parts of this movie Buck Finch didn't write. He was a guy who made the main character a guy. Fuck you, Jeff Begun. (laughs) Class, that is our lesson on Neon City. What? Are we going to be taken from this movie all the way to that beautiful final test? Don't forget, if you're in the wasteland and you're fighting a bunch of skins, you are legally obligated to face them. Face me! (laughs) You can't just go around shooting willy-nilly. You gotta face them, all right? Gotta face them. I'm going into 2021 with a little more optimism than I felt when we chose this movie. Like, I was very, before November 5th or whatever, I had a little bit of thoughts of, oh, well, this could be really indicative of what the world's gonna look like in 2021. And, you know, it probably still will look like this in 2053, I'd believe it. But I'll go in with a little optimism and wish for more movies like this in 2021. And also maybe a a Neon City 2. If there's one thing I can take away, it's related to that, and it's the sunny outlook of Dickie Divine. I'm going to go into 2021 with the outlook of cloudy with a slight chance of acid rain. (laughs) (laughs) My final thought is that this movie doesn't present the most unthinkable vision of what our world is going to look like in 2050, so... I'm going to use it as a rubric to prepare. I'm going to learn to ride a motorcycle. I'm going to start growing out a ponytail. (laughs) Normal things you do in your 50s. And I'm going to get me a team of the most delicious looking dogs out there. The Chow Chow. (laughs) (laughs) And just hope that the pun inherent there helps them go down easier. Thank you so much to our teacher, Philip Marlowe, Seth Applebaum of Ghost Funk Orchestra, and Gabriella Tessitore of Scout Harris for our theme music, Justin Ferrero of The Rizzos for our bed music and sound mixing, and Shear for our logo and the entire Video High crew, Greg Hansen, Jamie Kennedy, Casey Regan, and me, Josh Roth. Next time, find out what happens when a stuntman gets in the director's chair with the lost 80s classic, Action USA. Listen on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
this quote. These birds are on loan from the wardens of the Northern Federation. What was that line the in reference fuck? to? Are you sure you weren't writing your own screenplay? Maybe, I don't <laughs> know. Young City too, while you oh no, it? did we just ruin your anniversary gift to John? <laughs> <laughs> Missed opportunity. Paper anniversary. It's a screenplay. Up, up, up in, in your, your ears. ears. Podcast Network. Welcome to a BS in Education. The Preview. We're your hosts, Mrs. B and Mrs. W. We are a weekly podcast where we'll be having realistic and humorous conversations about modern education. We'll open each week by sharing our personal BS. My own friggin' offspring. They are monsters. Rats. And it's all around me. Each episode features a different learning objective. Like finding a work-life balance. When you learn what is a priority and what's not. To have a glass of wine while you're grading papers. I think so too. I just want a gallon of Diet Coke. Discussing attributes of an effective teacher. Establishing genuine relationships. Understand student needs. And (laughs) the thing that I am by far the worst at, and this is being organized... And stupid things we've done while teaching. I'll even get candy cigarettes. (laughs) And he whips it out and starts peeing on this tree. And the kid next to him starts drawing a dick on his face with a sharpie. We have social studies. Parents with children forced to do school at home are drinking more. Yeah, checks out. We'll take calls from real teachers. We went straight from being best things since the post into cowards who don't want to do their jobs and being lazy. So I'm curious what you guys are feeling when it comes to all of that. And we have some fantastic teaching tips. Resist the urge to hoard. Make friends with the head secretary at your school. We'll take a little bit of time for screaming in the parking lot. Call me coverage. One more time. Crayola, please. The rose art. Yeah. And we'll close it out with what makes it all worth it. Oh my goodness. It was the cutest. fun. Remember that kids really do love their teachers. And that means that we're all doing something right. So tell your teacher friends, tell your non-teacher friends to subscribe to A BS in Education.